Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Net Positive Podcast. A podcast which educates and inspires marketers, product managers, and companies in the best way to generate and optimize your flows. We're your hosts, Matt Brown and Jess Walker, and we will bring you the latest on how to improve your signup flow, increase your leads, and grow your business. Let's Let's jump jump in. in. Hello and welcome back to the Net Positive Podcast. Today we're speaking with Christian Yakulo, who has a really impressive career to date. He's been a software engineer for Freelancer and Atlassian, and is now an engineer at Canva, where he rebuilt the editor search, designed and built content apps, launched the developer platform, and is now working on a very exciting new project. Christian is also a mentor at Startmate and an angel investor. Today we learn about the role of an engineer in product management, designing products for developers, and how one of Canva's new products has grown massively over the last year. Let's dive in. G'day, Christian. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Fantastic. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, doing well. It's my first podcast. I'm really excited to be here. You are first podcast, but an absolute clubhouse veteran, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the two or three months it's been around, yeah, in, in Australia <laughs> at least. In the Australian clubhouses. <laughs> so for those who've heard you on Clubhouse but don't know much else, like tell us your backstory. How did you get here and, you know, and what are you doing these days? Yeah, sure. So started as a comsci grad actually at the University of Sydney. So um, initially was a little bit unsure what to do. Could have either gone down the business and commerce route or um, the tech side with comsci. Uh, I think it was my intro to programming class when I finally started to understand Java and start programming myself. I was like, okay, this is what I really want to do. Um, so I had a couple of internships as I was going through that uni process. Um, so I spent some time at, at Freelancer throughout my last year, so third year. I ended up cutting my degree down from four to three years because I just wanted to get out there and work for some of these tech companies. Um, I landed a grad role at Atlassian, and that's just down the road from where we are now, actually, here on Wall Street. Uh, And then, yeah, spent a year at a startup and have been at Canva for the last three years. Can you dive a bit into your role at Canva? What do you do there? What have you done in the past? So I was hired into the front-end specialty, Mm -hmm. um, so started off in the editor. Um, There's a part that we call the object panel. That's where you search for elements and drag things into your design. Um, So when I joined, we were actually rebuilding the whole stack. So um, the whole editor was... Uh, being built with a new set of technologies. Uh, so started there, uh, did quite a bit of work on the search component, um, and then moved on to a project called Content Apps, um, which is essentially pulling data from platforms like Facebook, Google, uh, Dropbox, Giphy, YouTube, and allowing those to be dragged into your design. Uh, and then that naturally spawned into the development of our developer platform. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the whole developer experience side of Canva. What is the developer experience for Canva? When I joined, uh, there was essentially none. We, ha- mm-hmm. we do have this one thing called Canva button. So you mm-hmm. can uh, inject this script into your page and then allow users to open up Canva, design things and push them back to your site. So that was the extent of our developer surface area. Um, but what we built out is something called Canva extensions. So there are three extension points, mm-hmm. content, editing, and publish. So I talked a little bit about the content side. So we started by building five to 10 of those ourselves before uh, realizing, wow, there's a lot of similar patterns between these um, content extensions. Maybe we could make this an API and have developers come in and do that work for us. So awesome. um, that's essentially what we released. Uh, we have the same thing on the published side. So you can push Canva designs out to other platforms. 
Um, and then the editing one is really interesting and actually led to a very recent acquisition of Canvas, the acquisition of Kaleido. Uh, so it was one of the first editing extensions we had, which was pushing uh, images to this third-party platform, having the background removed, uh, and then having your image transformed such that you could put you know, backgrounds behind it. So yeah, those were the three extension points and I know that team is still hard at work on like new extension points which are coming in the near future. Very cool. And you're also a mentor at Startmate and an angel investor. So maybe starting there for a second, you know, tell us a little bit about how you approach angel investing and your role at Startmate. Yeah, I've got to say disclaimer, like I'm very new to angel investing. So You are wearing a Patagonia jumper. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's not quite I, the vest, but I, you know. fit the stereotype really well. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting. I actually was asked to go along to a UNSW hackathon back in 2018, about six months into Canva. I think it was run by uh, CUSOC, so Computing and Engineering Society, and Tip, who at the time uh, was working for Blackbird Sydney. Uh, she's, she's a venture capitalist, was giving a talk on uh, how to pitch your idea, so teaching some of these uni students how they could best pitch their project. Yeah, so we kind of crossed paths there. We were both on the panel judging some of these projects. Uh, and I was just fascinated by her world, like how she thinks about startups, um, valuation as well. I, uh, at the time, thought that pretty much every company could be valued with a DCF, discounted cash flow model for those out there who don't know. <laughs> and so that was one of the first questions I asked her, like, you know, do you ever use some of these valuation models when I'm um, thinking about early stage startups? And she pretty much told me no straight away. <laughs> it's actually all about the people. And I found that uh, super fascinating. So yeah, we just kind of kept in touch. Uh, she ended up introing me to Michael Batko, who's the CEO of Startmate. Uh, and last cohort, which was a combined Melbourne, New Zealand cohort, was my first ever mentor gig with Startmate. So talk about mentoring at Startmate. Like what, what are some of the experiences you've had so far? And you know, talk about some of the teams you've worked with. Yeah, got real stuck in last cohort. It was actually on three different squads. Um, so essentially when you're on a squad, uh, they pull together a bunch of mentors, hopefully with complementary uh, skill sets. And um, then we'll set up a cadence with each of the teams throughout the accelerator cohort. So um, uh, the three teams that I was working with last cohort were Database CI, which was the dev tool, uh, Alula, um, so satellite imagery, and Bodyguide, which was a health and wellness app. Um, and yeah, so I, it was pretty much just a really big learning experience for me going through for the very first time and um, just learned a bunch about uh, what some of these companies need at that really early stage. On the investment side, First question, have you made any investments that you can tell us about? And then the second <laughs> question, how do you find those businesses and how do you validate them yourself? So I have made a couple of investments actually quite recently. The first direct investments to early stage companies were just this year. Um, can't Congrats. reveal, thank you. I <laughs> can't reveal any details um, just yet. But in terms of the investment process, that's that's a really great question. Um, I think very early I was very focused on things like TAM, um, the business model, mm -hmm. But I think more recently, I've been very focused on the founders and the founder skills mix, especially very early. Um, a lot of the companies that we're dealing with are um, pre-product, pre-revenue. And so, yeah, I'm just really looking for that um, well-made up team. So they've got someone from the technical side. Um, they've got someone who can actually run the business on the mm. business side, say the CEO, uh, and that they're showing progress with um, incremental milestones uh, throughout the journey. 
What are some of the things that you've picked up through, you know, working for two of Australia's best known and, and fastest growing and largest startups, Canva and Atlassian? I often get asked quite a lot about our tech stack. Uh, and so technology choices, like both on the front end and back end. Um, so things like, do we build our native apps separately or should we go with a hybrid approach? Like what front end frameworks are you using? Are you using React? We're on Angular. Should we migrate from Angular to React? Are there any other front end frameworks we should be considering uh, all the way through to hiring decisions as well? So how do I hire? my technical co-founder, um, what should my first engineering hires um, look like? Um, what skills should they have? Um, so yeah, I think those are the really common questions I get asked, especially through the Startmate Accelerator cohort. Obviously being a product-led growth and marketing podcast, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen early stage companies do well? And you know, what are some of the things that you're taking and advising them on, on marketing mm. or product-led growth? Starting with product-led growth is often uh, the first hurdle for a lot of these companies, like especially the non-technical founders. Oftentimes they'll come from a background where a lot of the early business, especially if they've got some revenue, is much more service-oriented. Um, so they're going out. Um, they may be the single salesperson for the company. Um, so I think just first instilling that mindset of building a business um, through product-led growth. So um, sounds really simple, but things like have a self-serve form on the site so that people can give you money. Um, maybe it's a Stripe form, maybe it's just a sign-up form, um, but enabling users to do those simple things is often the first step. I think then layering on top of that, it's just about crafting a really delightful user experience. So um, again, a lot of the time, um, some of these companies are so early and they're very resource constrained. So it's very easy for them to cut corners on the initial experience uh, and then just be very high touch with a few of the early customers. So I find myself regularly pushing for them to create the most streamlined onboarding experience possible. And on that onboarding experience, you know, Canva's onboarding experience is basically an email address and that's it, isn't it? You can use the product straight away and they, they don't ask for any more information. So what's the thinking behind that? That's true uh, as far as sign-up goes, mm. but we also have an onboarding experience for new users. We call mm. it the new, new user sign-up experience or new user onboarding. Um, and so... Uh, we try to get users into the design experience as quickly as possible. So we're very mindful of the steps that are placed into that onboarding experience. Um, the critical step in that process for us is called journey selector. Mm -hmm. And essentially every user who comes into the product is asked, um, which one of these categories do you fit into? Are you a student, teacher, small business, enterprise, are you a non-for-profit? Uh, based on that, we then tag the users and then start to customize their experience from that point onwards. Um, so that's how we'd know, say, if they uh, said they were a teacher, that we should um, prompt them to upgrade to our education experience so they can get all of our pro features for free. Or if they're a small business, we might try to prompt them to upgrade straight to pro. Um, enterprise, similar deal. We actually have an enterprise product. So I think that's a really critical part. Um, maybe not so applicable at the early stage mm. because you're usually laser focused on a single customer, but uh, especially if you're a platform um, with many different use cases, uh, obviously, which, which Canva is. Um, and then moving on from that, uh, more recently, we've been integrating parts of the Teams experience into that onboarding experience. So um, if you know that uh, it's a small business use case, they probably want to bring in their other co-workers into the experience. Um, if they're a student, on the other hand, uh, they might just want to get an assignment done. So let's get out of their way. Uh, and then finally, the, the last step in that journey, um, there may be some others depending on the experience chosen, but uh, it's which design do you want to start with? So getting them straight into the experience. Um, and for us, we really focus on activation as a metric. And our definition of activation is um, they've either shared or published a design. Mm 
Mm -hmm. um, so part of the motivation behind getting them into the design experience as quickly as possible uh, is helping them achieve success. So creating their design and then hitting that activation point of, okay, I've completed a design and I want to share it with someone. So moving from Atlassian into Canva, I'm sure you've had a lot of growth lessons through that time. You know, what are some of the growth lessons that you've picked up uh, along your journey and how are you applying them now? Or, or like if you went back in time, you know, what lessons would you teach yourself previously? Yeah, it's a bit of a philosophical thing, but I think one of the big lessons that I learned was uh, around trusting product intuition and, and sometimes understanding that the data may be incomplete. So probably illustrate this with uh, a story from uh, when I was at Atlassian. I was actually on a team uh, in Confluence. It was called the Confluence Activate team. And so we were trying really hard to get people uh, to move from trials of Jira and Confluence to the paid version. So we'd have seven-day trials. Um, one of the key areas we identified that needed a lot of work was the onboarding experience for Confluence. Uh, Confluence is a pretty complex product. And so um, demonstrating out of the box what's uh, what it's capable of uh, is is pretty difficult, but essentially we came up with this experience where we loaded demo data into the uh, instance, or so each new Confluence account uh, that would show off some of the cool features that the product had to offer. Um, and when we came up with the designs initially, uh, our product manager pitched it to uh, the founders. So at Atlassian, they have this cadence called a product brains trust. Uh, I think it initially came from either Apple or Amazon. Okay. Um, and it's essentially a sync between the product teams and some key um, stakeholders on the product side. So founders, head of product, and so on. Um, when Mike saw the onboarding experience, um, his first thoughts were, this is awesome. Why don't we just build it? Uh, our philosophy was, uh, no, we're a growth team. We should experiment, <laughs> prove the win, and then roll it out. And so yeah. that's actually what we ended up doing. Um, thing is that that took about three months to finally get a winning variation, and it wasn't too different to the original design. By the time we came around to building it, um, priorities had changed within the company. There was a team restructure and that onboarding experience never got built, sadly. Oh, no. At least maybe it got built after I left the company. Um, but I think that taught me a pretty important lesson, which is when you have a certain level of confidence and it might just be your own internal product intuition, especially if you've got validation from others with high believability. In this case, it was Mike, um, the company CEO and founder, for those who don't know. Um, my advice would be just run with it, um, especially early stage. Like you don't have a lot of time to waste. Um, oftentimes you'll just know if it's an improvement. Um, worst case, you can always roll it back. Um, so I think just leaning on that product intuition is something that I've integrated into my own um, process. Uh, and yeah, I could get more onto the data uh, afterwards. And on that, I want to talk about the culture in each of those companies that you're with, Freelancer, Atlassian and Canva. What were the cultures in all of them? I think freelancer was probably the most distinct and pretty interesting. Um, when I joined, they were at um, an office in Jones Bay Wharf in Sydney. Um, and the way the wharf is set up, um, we actually had offices on both sides. Uh, it was very close to the old Fishburner's office, which is uh, where, where we're at now. Two doors down from my first startup's office as well. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so this, this split office... Um, kind of led to an interesting dynamic where we had the engineering team on one side and the growth team on the other side. So uh, it was very adversarial uh, in the sense that we'd have hackathons where we'd mm. have red team, blue team. Nerf gun was... wars across the wharf? Or... <laughs> Not quite, but kind of getting there. Um, <laughs> and I think 
it introduced a strange dynamic, one that I don't think um, served us very well, uh, particularly for that time where um, you had the engineering teams working on product features, but then it was kind of like handing over those product features to growth and then expecting them to do a lot of the growth optimization. So the growth team was really focused on micro optimizations of the forms to improve conversion rates. But uh, what we found was anytime we wanted to introduce large product changes, so a big redesign, for example, it would cause a lot of friction between the product teams and the growth teams. Um, uh, I think conversely with Atlassian, it was quite different. Um, The company was really product focused and it was very obvious even through the whole uh, interview process. So uh, they had a set of questions they called product gene questions and they would ask all engineers these set of questions like, what are your favorite products? Uh, What improvements would you make to those products? And so I think uh, this concept of or this idea of putting the product first was very deeply ingrained into everyone within the company. And it was also reflected in uh, the the relative resource uh, priorities. Um, So for example, at Atlassian, um, most of the um, development team budget went to product R&D. So the growth team was much smaller in size, whereas at least uh, from my memory back at Freelancer, it was much more of an even 50-50 split. Uh, And then now moving into Canva, I've noticed a similar trend where um, you might have a smaller growth team, but um, it's also the responsibility of the product teams to pick up growth initiatives and run their own Mm. experiments, for example. So I'm a much bigger fan of that hybrid approach and getting product teams to also think about how their funnels are going to perform. It's really uh, interesting that you say that there's a product team on one side of the wharf and engineering on the other with it's like a metaphor for what happens in so many companies there's a product manager and then the marketing and product team don't talk to the engineering team and yeah it's so interesting changing tack a little bit um building for developer experience is sometimes a critical piece to the growth strategy of your business you've launched canvas developer platform tell us about the journey so far it's been a really interesting journey, actually. And, and so I worked on um, that whole developer platform piece for a little over a year. Um, we were doing a um, few similar projects um, in the developer space, but much more focused on building the extensions ourselves. Um, and so I think the, the biggest difference from product work when you're thinking about building developer experiences is that you need to spend a lot more time thinking about how the API is going to work, given that it's going to be used by so many different people. Yeah. Um, so it's this constant trade-off between um, flexibility in the API um, versus simplicity of the developer experience. Um, you could always add in more flags, more parameters, um, but is that going to make it a great experience for developers? Probably not. And so I found that a lot of conversations we had were around um, whether it was a good idea to introduce a new feature, whether we should wait for another major version before releasing that new API feature. Um, So that was one of the interesting learnings, just um, understanding and having a feel for the different development cadence, like thinking through all of the API decisions a lot more deeply than you would a typical product feature that you can just iterate on down the track. Uh, And then I think the other major piece, which was key to success was um, actually talking to some of those early developers, like not just putting the API out there. I know I was a big fan of self-serve before when thinking about funnels, um, but at the same time, when you have a brand new developer experience, uh, I feel like developers are a much more high touch customer in the sense that they're often going to have requests to change the API. uh, And if you can spend some time working with them early, you can save hundreds, maybe thousands of hours down the line when future API developers um, join in. And so uh, what we did was actually reach out to a set of developers that we knew were interested, um, got them together. We called it our um, 
beta app partners. Uh, and we actually flew some of them to Sydney to oh, work wow. with us. To prove what a success this was, uh, not only did we launch uh, all of the beta partner apps which came to Sydney, maybe bar one out of, I think, um, somewhere between six and eight, but they also led to um, two Canva acquisitions. So oh, wow. we acquired both Smart Mockups, which was one of our early beta partners, and Kaleido, which was the company behind Background Remover. If you want to be acquired by Canva, be a beta tester. <laughs> yeah. Yes, build an app. It's a, it's a great way to get into the ecosystem. It's uh, super interesting because a lot of those lessons were actually borrowed from Atlassian. So um, for those who don't know, um, there is someone by the name of Seb Ruiz. He used to be uh, head of engineering for the Atlassian ecosystem. Uh, and we crossed paths very briefly as I was going through my journey as a grad at Atlassian. Um, he was hired uh, into the group lead role for uh, a group within Canva we call the App Store. So it's a, a very visionary um, group name about where Canva wants to be, uh, sure. having our own ecosystem and set of apps. Um, but he's done an incredibly good job at delivering on that vision so far uh, and was a key part uh, of those two acquisitions. So um, yeah, Atlassian has a long history of acquiring out of their ecosystem. And so it was super cool to see that cross-pollinated into another Aussie startup. Uh, and yeah, I have some of that technology in-house. Um, uh, interesting tidbit, I'm now on the education team and we initially couldn't offer um, the background mover for education customers because it just cost us so much when we were paying per click for all these background removals and education was obviously a free product. Um, we didn't want to incur a massive loss mm. right. um, in our in our revenue sheet. Um, but as a result of that acquisition, we we're now able to roll out that feature to all education users. So uh, it was a really uh, critical business decision that unlocked quite a bit for us as a company and as one plugged into this computer vision image manipulation ecosystem. The uh, background remover is the reason why I'm a pro Canva we, subscriber now. Yeah, we hear that quite a lot. Um, one of the primary pro upgrade drivers. So Great good. to hear. And now touching on the new project that you're working on, which is Canva for Education. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And we were speaking off air and you've got some fairly impressive numbers. So it actually took me um, almost completely by surprise um, about this time last year, maybe a, a little, little longer, maybe a few weeks longer than a year. Um, but I was essentially pulled into a room by our head of engineering, uh, Brendan Humphreys, and he said, Christian, I've got an opportunity for you. Uh, you know, something is going to, something exciting is going to happen whenever someone tells you that, uh, at Canva. And I said, yeah. okay, uh, great. Uh, lo love to hear it. Uh, he, and he told me about, um, this education product that we were building, uh, at the time, the only people who were thinking and working on that product were, um, Cam, one of the co-founders, um, Georgia, who at the time was head of product, uh, and a few teams who had um, devoted development resources to building a couple of the really early features. So things like Google Classroom import um, and also renaming parts of the products so that they were much more applicable for the education context, things like introducing the concept of a class, students and teachers nice. and that, that kind of thing. But apart from that, there was no dedicated engineer working on the project. Um, so he asked me to be the first engineer, uh, given that they had this huge roadmap and quite a lot of changes which would need to be made to get to the vision that we had for the product. Um, mind you, this was March in Australia. So COVID hadn't really blown up yet uh, at this time last year. We knew of it, but I don't think anyone in Australia um, had really fathomed the impact that it was going to have. Um, so I, I did take a day or two to think about it because um, I was really loving the work I was doing uh, in, in our developer platform. Um, 
However, it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. Um, so when you get singled out by someone, it can be like, okay, yeah, I'll take yeah. And, and also, I think I'm just um, really fond of a lot of those zero to one jobs. Mm. So like yeah. building something completely new. I'd done that with the developer experience. I worked with the beta partners and then launched it. And so I think I was um, quietly ready for something uh, something new. Uh, and so yeah, jumped at the opportunity. And yeah, it's been a really wild ride. So I could have never anticipated the effect that COVID was going to have in terms of global trends, um, huge growth in um, education tooling. So the whole ed tech space um, accelerated massively with learn from home uh, as, as school, as everyone would know, schools were shut down all over the world. Uh, and just to give you a sense of the numbers, um, uh, when I joined the education product, which had been around, uh, it's kind of soft launch for two or three months, had about 20,000 monthly active users on it. Um, today it has 800,000 monthly active users. Um, wow. And so those are the ones that um, we need to verify our teachers and then those teachers will invite their students into the platform. So that's why that number is perhaps lower than it could be. Uh, if you want to think about um, Blue Sky, like where those numbers could be um, based on the new, new user onboarding that I was talking about earlier. So when we tag users as either a student or teacher, if we look at those numbers, um, we have over 10 million monthly active users who are education users, either students or teachers. So Incredible. huge opportunity to grow that Canva for Education product to millions of monthly actives. You actually said something interesting there. You said you love the zero to one. You love the startup. You're obviously investing and mentoring in startups. Have you built a side hustle yourself or is that something you've ever thought of doing? Not something I've done seriously. Like there are plenty of times where I've consulted with a friend who was starting something. Um, few uh, side hustles are like smaller gigs, like dev tools, mm -hmm. um, more open source projects. Uh, but I've never actually had a crack myself. So yeah, maybe you that'll. You will? Yeah, maybe that'll be an itch I scratch someday. But um, pretty happy what I'm doing now. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I think. The whole investment side has been a really interesting lens into that founder journey. Uh, after meeting with some of these founders, sometimes I think to myself, hmm, am I, do I definitely want to be a founder? Am I cut out to be a founder? It's, it can definitely be a, a tough journey. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm keeping my options open at this point. I love investing. I love working as an operator at mm. Canva. And so yeah, we'll see. Maybe at some point in the future. In some ways, you have been a bit of a founder recently, though, with uh, the Clubhouse channels that you've been launching, <laughs> you know, and that's that's no small feat getting uh, some of the audiences you've had on board. Can you talk a little bit about how you've got so involved in Clubhouse and how you've acquired such an audience? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be really honest about that. And I think it started from um, early this year. I was setting my 2021 goals and uh, realized that there was a big opportunity to help uh grow my personal brand. So I was looking at quite a lot of other folks in the ecosystem and they were just doing such a great job at um, having this regular cadence of communication with the wider community such that people would always have uh, a listen to what they were saying. So like really great example of this is um, Startmate CEO, Michael Batco. He has a mailing list called Batco OS, which I love reading. Um, and also another um, influential person, at least in my thinking on this topic, was Naval Ravikant. Um, he's got a great um, set of podcasts on uh, how to be rich. Uh, and he defines rich in a number of different ways. Like you could be time rich, you could be money rich, um, and you just need to choose which one of those you'd like to be. Um, he also really focused on uh, 
personal brand and everyone having to grow their personal brand as if it was their own business. Uh, and so that was one area I definitely saw myself lacking, like perhaps as an engineer, it's just something I never really thought about. Um, I was actually quite shy to even get out there in the first place. Uh, and so the goal that I set for myself was 5,000 Twitter followers by the end of 2021. What are you at now? Uh, actually nowhere near that. <laughs> so <laughs> Do you want to give yourself a little plug? Definitely. So um, <laughs> it's uh, Iacolch, my a bit, bit of a difficult one to pronounce, but I-A-C-U-L-C-H is my Twitter handle. Uh, it's kind of an old gaming name that I used to use, um, but stuck with me. It's my unique handle. Favorite video game? I always loved driving games. So maybe Gran Turismo, if I'm going to be honest. That was actually my very first video game on PlayStation 1. Um, uh, but yeah, I think... Uh, where Clubhouse came into the picture was that um, while I started off on Twitter not really writing so much, but doing a lot of retweeting and, and commenting on uh, other tweets. And so I, I just kind of wanted to dip my toes in the water. And I, I saw all this buzz around Clubhouse, uh, but it was invite only and I didn't yet have an invite. So uh, one day I decided I need to get on top of this Clubhouse thing because I feel like it's going to be so much easier to penetrate a mm. new channel as it's growing rather than one that's already seen that ho hockey stick growth trajectory. So um, asked a friend of mine if he could get me an invite. Um, friend of a friend ended up inviting me onto the platform. And it just so happened that I joined. This was about three months ago in Australia um, when all the other Australians from the uh, Aussie tech and startup ecosystem were also jumping on board. So it was super serendipitous. Like um, I was exploring the product, trying to figure out how it worked. There was this concept of a room. I couldn't see any Australian rooms. They were mostly Americans. And so I thought, why don't I just start one called Aussie Startups and see what happens? Uh, Did you so start it had, that? It, yeah, it had a rocket emoji. Um, Amazing. And yeah, with... I think within the first 20 minutes of starting that room, we had like almost a hundred people in the room. And so um, someone in the room put it very well. And he said, you got great uh, product market fit with this room name. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, great. Well, I haven't really had to do much to, to get this attention. And that kind of attention was much, much harder mm. to, to mm. gather uh, on Twitter. So it was just such an obvious choice from, the, from that point onward and started a weekly room and haven't stopped since. When is the room for the listeners? It's been pretty regular. So we do it on Tuesdays. It was initially 6 p.m., but um, now we do it at 8 p.m. So Incredible. Aussie Startups. Yeah, the Aussie Startups Club. And you can also visit um, the website. It's aussiestartups.club. So bought the cl .club oh, domain. Love that. Um, yeah, just so it's really You've really easy got to all plug. that, haven't you? <laughs> Did you have to pay a premium price or was it available? No, it was available. It was super cheap. Something oh. like $20 a year of um, GoDaddy. So, yeah. How many uh, weekly listeners are you having? Are you seeing that number grow? Like, how are you seeing Clubhouse as a, as a longer term platform? Yeah, and now that's a tough question. <laughs> really hard to predict the future. Um, so I definitely saw much more of an explosive boom around that period that I joined. So um, rough numbers were, yeah, around 100 for the first uh, couple of weeks. It then slowed down. I think we probably hit um, our trough around 20 uh, users in the room mm -hmm. um, for a given week. Um, the last few weeks have been a bit better, around uh, 30, um, sometimes 40 people in the room. Uh, I think a, a good size um, to grow from for us would be around 20 to 30 mm -hmm. people in the room. Um, but obviously, depends on the guests that you have on and the networks that they're bringing with them. Um, so, yeah, in, in terms of long term, um, how Clubhouse is going to perform, 
Um, yeah, it's it's anyone's guess at this stage. Yeah. I think we've definitely seen a, a dip. Um, there's the competition of Twitter spaces, um, which is interesting to think about. I've been playing around with that a little bit. Although um, one thing I think is missing from Twitter is it just doesn't have the same feeling of the hallway in Clubhouse, like seeing a bunch of rooms which are in progress and being audio only, mm. so being really audio focused. Um, so yeah, I'm just fascinated to see how it plays out. Mm. Um, I'm pretty open to playing around with other platforms. I'm not just a diehard Clubhouse fanboy. <laughs> I've just found that it was the best channel um, to have the kinds of conversations I want to have. And I actually haven't found a better uh, channel to have those mm. conversations. So, If you were the engineer at Clubhouse, what would you do to improve the platform? Because in my eyes, I see Clubhouse as like this amazing platform where you can learn a lot from a lot of people, but a lot of it is, it's not tailored enough. I think. What, what would you change? Yeah, I heard a really good feature suggestion the other day. It was around um, having uh, the elapsed time that a room has been going for and perhaps in the scheduling, uh, allowing the, sh- the room creator to choose how long the room goes for. I think anyone that's run a clubhouse room will uh, encounter a similar, similar difficulty around bringing a room to a wrap and like how much audience participation, mm. how much engagement um, to pull in without it getting too off topic. So I think like um, additional um, clubhouse room administrator tools to help with that um, would be great. Um, not sure if you guys are aware, but they actually are experimenting in beta with um, mon- creator monetization or clubhouse right. influencer monetization right now. So there's actually a tipping feature like built into the app that only some people are able to enable at this stage. I think that's going to be really interesting to see play out. Like people have already been using substitutes like Venmo or mm. pushing people to other platforms like their own Patreon, for example, um, to have that directly inside the app um, is a differentiator against things like Twitter. And so I'm really fascinated to see how that's going to play out. Maybe in, in wrapping up, what's one final piece of advice that you'd give to an aspiring founder, especially a founder who might be coming from an engineering background? Look, I think, and this is going to sound really obvious um, given my background in building a community through Aussie startups, but I think plug into your local community would be my number one uh, pro tip. Like the vast quantity of people from different backgrounds and uh, really unique skill sets that I've been able to cross paths with, like yourselves included, which is great being on this podcast. It wouldn't have happened without Clubhouse. And so I think, yeah, really being plugged in is key. Uh, and then I think the next thing, once you have that community around you, is to laser focus on the problem it is that you're solving uh, and do whatever it takes to make sure that you're delivering user value uh, within that space. Uh, there are just too many startup founders I've seen kind of doing many things at once. I think just uh, really laser focusing focusing on uh, one particular part of the user journey, bringing in the skills you need uh, and then nailing that before moving on to the next is a really critical part. Uh, I find myself repeating to founders. Community and focus. I think they're two good uh, keywords to remember from this podcast. Well, Christian Yukulo, engineer at Canva and mentor at Startmate. It's been incredible having you on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks, Thanks, thanks Christian. Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Net Positive Podcast brought to you by Upflowy.